The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Romans 16, 1-7. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert in Christ, to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, John. You know, um, just as, I don't think I say this often, but uh, we record these sermons every week, and um, not that you want to hear me, but if you want to hear John read the scripture again, because I love that deep voice of his. You can go on and hear him read that. Uh, I don't know if y'all watch uh, late night TV sometimes, but um, Jimmy Fallon some time ago had a little experiment he wanted to run, and um, he did so through uh, the New York Yankees had just traded a major player to another team, and so he decided the city was a little bit up in arms, and it was over you know, a certain amount of money. So he wanted to do a little experiment. So he got a cardboard cutout of this player and the the player was about to come back and play uh, against the Yankees, against his former team. And so he wanted to kind of stir up things. So he had this cardboard cutout and um, he just gave people a microphone and he said, what do you want to say to so-and-so as they're coming back? They're coming back to play you know, if you're, you know, a fan, what would you want to say? And these people would just let this cutout have it. I mean, they were sitting there yelling at a cutout of this former player of theirs. And then he decides all of a sudden to have this player step out from behind the cutout and be like, hey, and just the look on people's faces and their, their change in demeanor and manner was amazing. I mean, people would be, go from saying all sorts of expletives to hugging him. Um, the, everything from, oh, like they knew him like they were his best friend. And it was, it was a brilliant move because what it made everybody do is realize that they can't just put this person in, in a cardboard cutout. They just, just can't be distant. And it is easy when you read a passage like this one and we're going to read another one as we finish our book in Philippians, but this is from another book and uh, letter in Romans, to read a bunch of names, <clears throat> which John did a great job reading all these different names. But you read those names and they just seem distant. They seem like they're on paper. But what we really need to know is that the letters that Paul is writing, they're not just like private little letters to you and me. He was writing this to real people in real time that were dealing with real issues. They were dealing, the church was going through all sorts of cultural uh, issues at that time and, and trying to uh, establish what it meant for them to operate as men and women in a culture where it is easy 
to make Christianity something that's just there. We just privatize it. It deals with me and my family when I come in these doors or when I leave. It can't. If it only does that for us, then we're not grasping the full impact of the gospel. We're not understanding it fully. Because these are real people. And it deals with real people here, us. As much as we read a prayer from Hannah who is looking forward thousands of years forward to Jesus coming, not even knowing who it was, we are looking backward to Christ. We are together in this, not just this church, but the church global, those who worship Jesus. And these names are a big part of that. And I, I think as we talk about this passage as just kind of a, a, a one-off sermon in a sense and celebrating um, our uh, commissioning of our deaconesses by our, our session who have uh, gone through interview process, who have gone through uh, equipping and training as well as uh, ordaining the, the elders and deacons as well this, this afternoon. But I want to uh, speak on this this morning to encourage us about where we're going as a church. You know, it'd be easy in the last few months and, and even, gosh, few, literal few months of what is upheaved in our culture about the treatment of women in both the workforce and in uh, everyday life. Uh, this is incredibly providential that this is going on in our church. Uh, you know, you would think, uh, as I read, even talking about cultures and people talk about the scripture uh, and that culture of the denigration of women in this period of time, both in Rome and in the religious uh, Judaistic uh, uh, circles, that we would be past that. But we have so much to learn, right? We're not. And there's so much here that we need to be encouraged about. Not tearing us down, but how do we, how do we walk together as a church? And I think as we talk about this as, as men and women with identical worth and complementary roles working together, moving all through this, there are kind of three parts of this. And there are words that none of us probably would use. And if we do, we think of them as maybe like spiritualish kind of words. But he talks about daughters, sisters, and fellow workers. And we may not use those terms as much, but for them, if they read this letter, they would say, I can't believe I'm considered a daughter or a sister, or a fellow worker. We need to embrace the impact of what this language means for them. And so as he, as he unpacks the end of his letter, Paul, like he does in, in all his letters, the greetings were stuck to the end. It's different than our typical letters where we write a greeting at the beginning. He puts a greeting at the end with this enormous list of daughters and sons in the faith of Romans, Romans chapter 16. And in that, he commends, half of them are women that he commends in the faith. And it's interesting as he commends them here for in just these verses, it's a long passage and we took primarily the, the beginning to give us the impact here. But the worth of women in this culture was low. Most women were not seen as educated. Uh, their testimony might not be even held in court. We even see when Jesus was talking about this in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which we actually just went through not too long ago. He talks about divorce in a certain sense because in that culture, there was a, uh, a you know, the primary view religiously even was even if a woman burned toast of a husband, there could be grounds for divorce. 
that the relationship of men and women needed to be talked about here and was actually being put out there for a, a huge reason. And the overturning and what it meant to be a daughter and brought into this family meant you were in Christ. It wasn't because anything else. It wasn't that you needed to take up rights as a man. It meant you had the rights because you were in Jesus. Luke chapter 10 even talks about this. When Mary and Martha are in the, and have Jesus in their home, and it's this story of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet while Martha is running around trying to be hospitable, and tells Jesus, would you, would you tell Mary to stop and come help me get this, this house together? And he says, no, Mary has chosen the better portion. And the reason he's saying that is because she is taking the position of a disciple. Jesus is saying, it is so important that you know Martha, that she has taken the better portion so that you know what it means to be in relationship with me. Often in the Gospels, you see Jesus interacting with women, and many of the people around Jesus are uncomfortable in the way that he talks to women. And even the women are asking him, why are you talking to us in this way? And yet Jesus shows complete care and moving in to where these women are, whether they were social outcasts or sexual outcasts, or whatever it may be, that he cared for them in those moments. And you see women brought in. Robert Alter, who in his book on the Old Testament narrative, he points out this, and he's actually a Jewish historian. He talks about, even in the Old Testament, this reversal over and over that God seems to show of the church, of his people, what his nature is even, in the midst of culture. That what he does, even in the way he reverses birth order, oftentimes you may read in the Old Testament of the, the younger is, you know, put before the older. That was way countercultural. Or you see, uh, oftentimes there are stories of women who are, are not as beautiful, and yet they are treated with such great care by God. There's overabundance of God's favor towards them because they're not treated in a way in that culture. Over and over, Robert Alter is saying there's a reversal of culture because God's nature is trying to, to cry out to us that this is the kind of God he is. He is acultural. He's not saying, uh, condoning all these things. He's saying, this is how it should look. My good news, this is who I come to. It is not based on a particular culture. It is based on my nature and that I love you. And we even see that in the New Testament with Jesus coming forward. Even as here, I commend our, to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church. And, and, and it talks about welcoming her, Priscilla Aquila, us welcoming this bringing in of these. Even in verse 7, Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners, they were well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. This is a, a married couple. That they were in Christ before Paul. That Paul is humble enough to say, look, we are in this together. C.S. Lewis draws this out in a really fascinating way. And I remember when I was working even on a campus, this um, was really interesting to use with Fre this, uh, this um, uh, essay. It was really powerful, particularly coming into a, 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 an area where it was unknown. It's called a, the inner ring. And what he's talking about in this 
essay of his called The Inner Ring is he's saying we have all of these invisible circles in which we're wanting to be a part of. All of these places, and no matter what, his even beginning illustration is in the military and a higher ranking officer is left on the outside of a friendship because he's not on the inner ring of even lower ranking officers. He's saying that these inner invisible rings supersede often even the, the cultural norms that we have and that we want to break into. Listen to what he says. He says, we all have the desire to be inside the invisible line illustrates this rule. As long as you're governed by that desire, you will never get what you want. You're trying to peel an onion, and if you succeed, there will be nothing left. Until you conquer the fear of being an outsider, an outsider you will remain. The quest of the inner ring will break your hearts unless you break it. But if you break it, a surprising result will follow. If in your working hours you make the work your end, you will presently find yourself all unawares inside the only circle in your profession that really matters. Do you see what he's getting at? He's saying, he's pushing the envelope to say, what are the invisible circles that you and I have in our church even? And in our Christian circles that would keep people out. And particularly for you that you women in this church, that the label isn't being in on the side of a circle that may give you status. And that's what Paul's getting at. And that's what Jesus is pushing at, is that the only ring that matters is that you are a daughter. This is why the entire book of Galatians was written. This is why he says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female for uh, you all are one in Christ Jesus. He's not, he's not removing certain categories. He's saying, in Christ, there is no other rule of law. There's no Christ plus anything. If you're a daughter, you're his. And his alone. And there are no rings to break into. And we need to ask ourselves, what are the rings that we have? Look, I, I have no idea what many of your stories may be, as particularly you women in this church, that how you have come in contact with those inner rings. It could be in a job. It could be in a relationship. It could be in your marriage. It could be in places where there is a requirement for you and you feel or may have felt the need to be in a certain place to be, in a, be inside that circle. I want to encourage you as women, us as a church, and us as men who may not struggle with our, may not know that because we don't know what it's like, to ask the questions, how are we breaking those rings that we may have? And it's not just the gender ring, it could be other things. That the rule to get inside is not anything but Jesus. To come to this table isn't a ring that I've created. It is to come through Jesus. He is the rule. He is the ring. We need to ask those questions. We need to know, because here's the thing. How are we gonna display a reality that matters, that's not just a theory, that's not just a cardboard cutout, but the reality of flesh of Christ? That people, when they encounter us, they encounter Jesus. They don't encounter, encounter hoops that they have to jump through. And that stretches across not just gender, but race. How are we transforming that? This is not a conservative, liberal issue. 
This is a Christ issue. This is what we need to be thinking about. We're not adopting policies. We're adopting the gospel. The good news for us in the ways that we don't think it's real and that we can be on the inside, that we've all been left out, and particularly for you women in here, that you have come up against that because of your gender. But you are inside. You're a daughter. But he goes on even further to say it's not just daughters of the king, but sisters of the brothers, equal importance in the family. He says even in verse 16, I commend to you, I mean in verse 1 of chapter 16, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church, welcome her. Look, when he says commend their sister, this is a very vulnerable moment for Phoebe. Because Phoebe at the time was in a different place, a port city that was outside of where she was used to. She was serving there in a way, but she was now called to carry, more than likely because of this, carry the actual letter of the Romans that Paul has put together to the Roman church. And in that time, they didn't have, a, outside of the Roman government, they didn't have a mail system. So especially if you were going to transport something, it came through the hands of someone that was a part of your group. And in this culture, particularly, women were not held up as those who were wise in religious circles. So this was a deeply vulnerable moment for her to actually carry the letter of Romans. Imagine holding that in her hand, traveling from where she was to Rome to present the letter after being with Paul himself. And what he's actually saying to them by using the word sister, a word that many of us may think, oh, those are religious-ish kind of things. In that time, the Roman church, I mean, Roman government was so thrown off by the way that, that the church that time, they were called the way, that the Christians of that day would call each other brother and sister. They were like, what is up with this incestuous group? They had no idea because it was such a deep, powerful relationship that they actually cared for one another, that the church was bringing in those who were uneducated and educating them, those who were thrown out of their families even and brought into the family. The church was adopting and bringing in women and others because of that and caring for them. And so when he says, commend our sister, he's sending her out and he wants them to receive her as if he was delivering his own letter himself. This is how powerful and important this is. Look, I've had a number of discussions, and many of you in this room I've had discussions with. The categories here that I'm talking about, we hold a specific position in our church. We talked about it last week. But the issue that I have realized is I've sat with myriad of women over years and discussed these kind of passages and others isn't deeply theological issues. It has been more the way that women who would say they follow Jesus have been treated by the church. That the disgust or difficulty with church that so many women have left and, uh, or have wrestled, and many of you in this room have gone through that and, I, and are coming back bravely into a place where a man is preaching the gospel to you, 
And though we hold to that, and you may disagree, I don't know where everyone sits in this room with all those. What I want to encourage you as I've sat with so many women and heard the same is, how do we show something different? Even if we disagree theologically, are we displaying the gospel of grace? Do you think Jesus disagreed with many people theologically? Yeah. There are even passages when he meets a Samaritan woman who is completely on the other side, theologically. And she doesn't even understand what he's saying, theologically. And yet, she's brought in because of the manner in which he comes to her. There is a um, very, and I would encourage, I can't read the whole thing, but I would encourage you to read it. It's actually written to men. Beth Moore, I don't know if you know who Beth Moore is, but uh, Beth Moore is a very uh, well-known Bible uh, teacher and scholar. She has been around for a long time, written countless Bible studies. Uh, Many of you may have done them. Some of you may disagree with her theology. But I'll tell you, she took a a risk and wrote on her blog about what it's been like for her as a prominent evangelical, someone who would sit in our circles, Um, woman today, and this is written literally right after, this is written maybe a month and a half ago, and you can read it on her blog. It's called A Letter to My Brothers. I'm going to read just some excerpts because it's lengthy, but I want to read this to you. As a woman leader in the conservative evangelical world, I learned early to show constant pronounced difference, not just proper respect, which I was glad to show to male leaders and when placed in situations to serve alongside them, to do so apologetically. I issued disclaimers ad nauseum. I wore flats instead of heels when I knew I'd be serving alongside a man of shorter stature so I wouldn't be taller than he. I've ridden elevators in hotels packed with fellow leaders who were serving at the same event and not been spoken to, and even more awkwardly, in the same vehicles where I was never acknowledged. I've been in team meetings where I was either ignored or made fun of, the latter of which I was expected to understand was all in good fun. I'm a laugher. I can take jokes and make jokes. I know good fun when I'm having it, and I also know when I'm being dismissed and ridiculed. I was the elephant in the room with a skirt on. I've been talked down, by, uh, doc- talked down to by male seminary students and helped held my tongue when I wanted to say, brother, I was getting up before dawn to pray and pour over the scriptures when you were still in your pull-ups. Then early October, oh, another, I'm sorry, skipping down. About a year ago, I had an opportunity to meet with a theologian I had long long respected. I read virtually every book he'd written. I looked so forward to getting to share a meal with him and talk theology. And the instant I met him, he looked me up and down, smiled approvingly and said, You're better looking than blank. He didn't leave it blank. He filled it in with the name of another woman Bible teacher. All these examples um, she draws out. And this is where she says, this is where I cry foul. Not for my own sake. Most of my life is behind me. I do so for the sake of my gender, for the sake of our sisters in Christ, and for the sake of my female leaders who are faced with similar challenges. But I do so for the sake of my brothers because Christ-likeness is at stake. And many of you are in positions to foster Christ-likeness in your sons and in the men under your influence. 
Now, I would encourage you to actually read this whole blog because there's a lot more to that. And many of us in this room may be hearing that and going, oh gosh, I've never been in that position. Or why is she saying it? I think we need to take a step to hear that and think, where have we put ourselves in that position? Where do people maybe around us and us unknowingly look at our church and look at us in a light that may not be favorable? Because of comments we've said and thought they were funny, lighthearted. Even in this, she talks about she has incredibly tough skin and she's so gracious in the further paragraphs towards particularly men as she is addressing this to men. But in this, she's wanting us to see the truth. Where are we missing it? Where are we missing it as a church? Where are we displaying in our own midst the way that we care for one another as men and women, that we show sisters and brothers in Christ? That we show that. The word church appears in this passage more than anywhere else. And the way that it appears is in the the context of family. It's to say that there's an actual family. It's the dominant metaphor. And that's what's amazing about this. Priscilla and Aquila, here, even taking them as the example in here, another married couple, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risk their necks for my life and whom I only give thanks, but the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Priscilla is listed first in here, possibly maybe of, of a reason for honor. But here's the interesting thing. They were forced out of Rome. The reason they're listed here is they met Paul because they were forced out of Rome through an edict and brought into the church and met Paul. And there are these other names such as Mary, Epinatus, names we don't even know anything really about them. And yet they're a part of this family that they're saying, this church that works together to show a different life, a different community. And here's what's incredible about it. People were attracted to it. As much as the Roman world culture said, gosh, it seems weird that y'all call each other brother and sister and you drink body and blood. They were constantly saying, why are y'all incestuous and, and are cannibals? They literally would say that about Christians. But there was something about that that drew in those around them, that it showed a difference in culture. It pushed to say, we care for those who are marginalized, we care for those who are weak, and we display an image to them because we believe that men and women are in that image. Same value and worth, working together in complementary roles, moving forward that we can display a different culture. This is what was fascinating. Those women, they were brought in and educated and cared for were actually sent back out into the cities and were caring for people that would never have them care for them. And they were wondering, Where are you, why are you coming to me? Why do you care? It's because the value they understood as being sisters to the brothers in the church drove them into the city. And I wonder, where are the places Where are the places where we are showing as as sisters and brothers that we need to display that culture counter to what we see around us? I mean, we can read all sorts of stuff that's been on the news and everything else and say that's distant, that's far. But here we are, come out from behind the cutout. We are flesh and blood here. 
How are we handling one another? Not as cutouts, as people. As men and women displaying brother and sister, a new family that people would actually say, and maybe you're here this morning, I hope you are. That you're like, you're using that Christianist language. That's actually language from the Bible to encourage you. If you're coming here and you're saying, this is my first time in this church or in a church in a long time. That you receive, no matter whether you're a man or woman, the same value of encouragement and value in the church as a family that surrounds you no matter where you are. I I was able to attend a a gathering yesterday for um, a couple that's leaving, Danielle and Chad Reinhardt. And it was so beautiful for me just to see all the faces there. It was a connect group, one of our neighborhood groups. And to see all the faces of the people, it's not a group I'm in, but to see all the people that surround you all and love you and are sending you off to another city and knowing that they're behind you. And one of the greatest compliments I ever got from someone in one of our connect groups, and not that one particularly, but someone else that had left, they said, Stacy, we think you're great and all, but we're gonna miss our connect group. <laughs> because they were so supported and loved and cherished by all the men and women and children in that group. They were sent to this other city in that way. Sisters and brothers. And you know what? The last thing here that you see that's over and over is fellow workers. Paul says this to them, fellow workers and even fellow prisoners. And I find this incredible because Phoebe herself was called it what in verse two, a patron. Phoebe being one, a servant who is in a, a role of sorts of serving in her church. And also a patron, someone who was actually, and that word patron means that she was wealthy to do. And she was actually giving, and, and the word can drive in the Greek towards someone who's helping others in a movement towards something else. In other words, she was sharing in the movement of serving others to move the gospel. Even this language of Priscilla and Aquila who risked their necks comes from Acts chapter 19, where they were in the middle of a city that was selling little idol gods. And they began to talk with Paul about the difference between serving gods. It turned Ephesus, it was a city where the letter of Ephesians is written to, it turned it upside down because their trade was built on serving and caring for these certain gods, these little gods of Artemis. And yet they all served together and drove together as fellow workers in this. How are we working and serving together because this table means that we all put our legs under it and eat together? That we feed together. Look, we may have differences, may have difficulties that we have to work through. There was constant here. We even, we even read that in Philippians, the letter we've been reading of two women that have been uh, butting heads in the church and Paul calls them to, to peace. But how are we coming together to this table and realizing it's ours. Even if we disagree, even no matter where you may be coming from with the theology of this, are we showing a practice of grace and truth in the gospel following Christ? One of the greatest stories is when Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York, was being uh, called up to actually receive an award at Princeton Seminary. It's called the Kuiper Award. And, And Tim Keller, a part of our denomination, 
uh, in stance. Uh, <clears throat> they actually rescinded the award from him because of uh, the, his view on the ordination of women. And Catherine Alsdorf, who actually uh, started the, uh, was the director of the Institute of Faith and Work, which is comparable to our NIFW here, who is actually on a different page, wrote an article that was staggering and it really blew those at Princeton Seminary away. She said this, Tim Keller, I do not share Tim Keller's complementarian views and yet Tim and many others have come to their position about the roles of women in, in the church based on biblical study and deep reflection. I chose to submit to that view during my many years at Redeemer I use the term submit intentionally. There are many things I have and will submit to in order to live, my, live, <clears throat> live out the life to which God has called me. I have worked at a church that is not specific to these views in which women, even when ordained, were marginalized more than those at Redeemer. Tim has lived out for me and many others how to live with biblical integrity, humility, and generosity, even on especially the issue where we disagree. Look, this table is set not for a specific person, but for those who are in Jesus. We're not called to it by our gender. We're not called to it by our authority. We're called to it by Christ, by his authority. This table is set for a family. There's more than one cup up here. There's plenty of bread. The reason is, is because for us to come together and call ourselves a family. If you find yourself this morning saying, I don't know if I'm a part of this family, sit and, and ask the question, what does it mean to be a part of a family that's brought in, not through ourselves, but through Jesus? Because this table is set for us to be filled because when you take it and to leave these doors and work together to display the truth and grace of the church. Let's stand together now.